Zakawani, the flying winger. Oh, goodness me! He doesn't need anybody, Steve Zakawani! Steve Zakawani was never fun to stick up against. Was it for Zakawani? None of this is possible. It's Steve! It's Steve! <laughs> this is so weird. Steve Zakawani! What's up, everyone? Welcome to Winging It with Zakawani. We are back here. Just a few days away from the Cascadia Cup clash, the Seattle Sounders traveling to BC to face the Vancouver Whitecaps. Always, always a fun time up there in Vancouver. And this game just means so much for the playoff implications, the bragging rights, of course, between the fan bases and the players, and then also the Cascadia Cup. So we'll talk about that. We will also will start where we have to start, which is the Sounders win streak because it's going. 11 games unbeaten, 8 wins in a row, an MLS record, which, you know, when I really think about what that means historically, maybe we won't understand it um, until the years to come. To win 8 games in a row in this league, in any league, especially a league with the parity of MLS, is a fantastic achievement. And for a team that was struggling so badly, was written off, the playoffs were a distant picture, to be able to string together 8 wins in a row is extremely impressive. With that said, nothing's been accomplished. The eight wins in a row or whatever it ends up becoming only means something if you see the job through, if you get the job done. And the job at hand is qualifying for the playoffs. It's what the league rewards. It's what's at stake. Once you get into the big dance, anything can happen, as we know so well here in Seattle. But if you start losing now, then it's eight games becomes a distant memory, just like the bad start to the season was a distant memory. Seattle haven't done this 11-game unbeaten run or this eight-game win streak in the ways you would normally associate with a team that is the hottest team in the league. Normally, you think of free-flowing, tremendous football goals and blockbuster displays and things like that. There's been moments. The attack's been consistent. I think averaging a couple of goals a game during the stretch. But it's been the defensive side that has got it done for Seattle. I remember when Kelvin Leardam first came to the Sounders. The right back position was a revolving door. You know, Brad Evans had been there a couple of times. Jordi Delem been there a couple of times. Uh, Gustav Svensson had been there a couple of times. And then Kelvin Leardam came and there was stability. A bunch of clean sheets followed. Wins followed. Because the, the coaching staff could know going to sleep every week that we can put out the same group, they're building chemistry, they're learning one another, each other's tendencies, Stephen Fry's getting used to who's in front of him, and we can build some momentum that way. And it's the consistency of the back four, Kim Kee-hee, Chad Marshall, Kelvin Leardam, now you add in Brad Smith to it. It's that consistency, having all those guys together, that, and Stephen Fry behind them, of course. And then you add Osvaldo Alonso and Gustav Svensson, Ozzy's healthy. Gustav, I honestly haven't even noticed Gustav. That's how good he's been. Quietly going about his job to the point where you don't even notice all the stuff he's doing until you look back after the game and you're like, oh, right, that was Gustav making those passes, connecting those balls and making those interceptions. Just having a consistent, solid defensive block allows Brian Schmetz and his staff to focus on other areas rather than trying to incorporate or integrate a new left back or a new right back every week. That's been a massive, massive difference. 
I mentioned Osvaldo Alonso. I won't talk about him much because this will end up being five podcasts, so we're not going to go there. You know how I feel about Ozzy. Ozzy knows how I feel about Ozzy. And him at full health in any team, that team becomes that much better, and we're seeing the fruits of that again here in Seattle. Gustav Svensson, Gustav Svensson, come back from the World Cup, is being tremendous as well. You look at the form of Nico Lodero since the World Cup snub. He's got back into the national team picture. When your best players and your key players are all playing well at the same time, I've been on teams where that's happened, and you're in sync like that, you win a lot more games than you lose, and the Sounders are experiencing that right now. We are still waiting. There's one negative of this run is I really want to see the attack just explode. The LA game was an anomaly. It was kind of an outlier. It wasn't really a reflection of what's been happening. But I think the attack is capable of doing that. We've got a guy on the bench, Will Burn, who has 50-plus MLS goals. A double-digit scorer in this league, given time and minutes. You have Rui Diaz, a proven scorer in League MX, a league that is of a slightly higher level than MLS in, in recent years. 40 goals in two seasons he got over there. Harry Ship suddenly he can't stop scoring. Victor Rodriguez creates as well as anyone. And before he went down, he was the team's most dangerous attacking player. You have Christian Rodin who can find goals. And the one challenge I would always put to Christian is he should get even more goals. Just for how good he is, he should be able to get even more goals. That attacking group should at some point explode. Should give teams a 3 0 here, a 3 1 there, a 2 0 win here, a 4 1 there, just kind of consistently scoring goals that are the result of breathtaking attack and play. The ability is there, the potential is there. That I don't think we've seen consistently. I think of the win at Portland, dug in, dug deep, stayed solid, got the own goal. I think of the win last week against Sporting Kansas City, two weeks ago now. Kansas City had all the possession, all the ball. Seattle went behind, but then they had a great attack. Aussie to Brad Smith, cross, Rui Diaz finished, and the Harry Ship deflection into back of the net, the penalty, Nico Lodero. They're finding ways to get it done. The attack's been okay, but we're still waiting to really explode. And this is how privileged we feel right now, because if that's my big problem, the attack hasn't exploded and you're winning every game, then you're in pretty good shape. But that's what we're waiting for right now with the Sounders. The defense is set. And Roman Torres, let me not forget him because he's had to come into some game to shore things up and he's done his job. And they'll be needed this weekend because they're going to face a test. Alfonso Davis going to Bayern Munich has given him an injection of confidence. It reminds me of when DeAndre Yedling got called up to the World Cup and he came back to Seattle and you could just see he was different. You could just see he was walking on a different cloud. His aura, his demeanor, his vibe was different. The injection of confidence that that call-up to the World Cup gave him, he used that to catapult himself to where he is now. And Alfonso Davis, since that Bayern Munich announcement, he has been electric. Just go watch some of his highlights from this season. I mean, this kid has the potential to become very, very special. And he's one of those kids who try stuff. He's willing to go at players. If you're going to be a good winger in this league, in any league, you have to be willing to try things and lose the ball and get up and go again and be brave and want the ball when you're being kicked. And he has that. So this defense is going to be tested between him and Kai Kamara, who's just a proven guy in MLS, has 100-plus MLS goals in just about 300-plus games. Very good record. A goal every three games for his career. Those guys will test Seattle. Still expect the Sounders to leave with the three points I absolutely do but 
it would be nice if both the attack and defence can be at their very best. Taylor Graham joins me on the podcast when we return before we wrap up today. This is Winging It with Zakawani. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Winging It with Zakawani. I'm joined, I think he's been on before, and he's back making a return. He has an open invite, honestly, anytime. Um, the one, the only, Taylor Graham. And I'm bringing Taylor on because this program, today's show, is focused a lot on defending, and I'm not an expert. So we have to bring someone on who knows a lot more than I do about I defending. I think all your listeners know that you are not the <laughs> foremost expert in defending. Exactly. Uh, but I'm, I'm glad to be the voice on behalf of us underappreciated <laughs> defenders. Yes. Um, it's great to be here, Stevie. You're the man. You let me know when you want me here, and I'll be here. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you this first. So 11-game unbeaten streak, 8-game winning streak. From what I've watched, it hasn't been like the attack that's been igniting this. It's been the, not just the back four, but the back five, including Stefan Fry, the return of Ozzy and Gustav. What I want to ask you first is this. Why is a consistent back four, if a coach can pull out the same back four week to week, why does that make such a big difference? You know, consistency in the lineup is a value across the whole for your 11. I think that... Um instincts and understanding and uh there there's nothing uh there's nothing that that is a substitution for um for game experiences for understanding people's instincts and so over the course of games the more that chad and kim play together they're gonna know their tendencies and the tendencies of who likes to step and who doesn't like to step chad is a very cerebral defender he is very efficient with his movements uh, Kim is a little bit more active. I remember it was uh, uh, Brad Evans and Zach Scott used to look at the analytics after every game, and they're like, how is it possible that Chad is running less than we are? It's because he's just very efficient with his choices. Yeah. That is something that you grow accustomed to over repeated experiences. And so in uh, in, in defense, when the slimmest of margins of space uh, dictates wins and losses, in the same way that goal scores uh, make or break games, decisions as defenders d- drive dank games yeah. and conceding goals. And while uh, sometimes people say, are the Sounders defense maybe underappreciated, that's just what they do. And uh, with more successful reps becomes better instincts and people just, it grows with confidence. What do you like about what Kim Kihi's done? Because I think for me, he's been one of the absolute just standouts. And he didn't get the shine because the team was doing badly, but he was still playing well, I thought. And then he's, I mean, he got the assist in Portland. He's made some amazing runs forward. I think in the last game, he started to run forward in the 89th minute and Nico was yelling at him to get back. He's right. just, but what do right. you like about what he's brought? And he's keeping Torres out of the lineup. Yeah, you know, the one thing I would love to be is I want to be a fly on the wall for a discussion between Kim, <laughs> Ramon, and Chad. Because how are those guys communicating, right? You bring in so many... Uh, international players with different first languages, it's their instincts. It's their body language, which is the modes of communication. Uh, What I like with Kim is that he's very active. He covers a lot of ground. Um, He's not afraid to go forward. Um, He is, uh, he He's, he's not dissimilar to Gustav, who can play in a defensive midfield yeah. position, which means that he's very comfortable on the ball, and his distribution is very good. Um, and I think that he complements Chad well in the sense that he can, they can both be aggressive in one-on-one defending. But he is maybe a little bit more... Uh, he has a longer leash to, to go off on some runs and to track into midfield and keep the ball at his feet yeah. and try to connect, pa- connect passes in tight spaces. Yeah. I never had the privilege of having Brian 
Schmetz as my head coach. He was my assistant during my time in Seattle. I actually worked a lot closer with him than with Ziggy because back then, Schmetz worked with the attacking players a lot. He would work on finishing and crossing a ton, and he did all those drills for us. But watching him as a coach, his teams defend very well. They don't yep. give up many goals. You played for him for many years as a head coach. Does he place emphasis on defending, or is it just because he's a guy who wants to play possession and wants to kind of keep the ball, that a byproduct of that is that you don't concede as much? Yeah, Brian is... Uh, so I play with Brian as a head coach in the USL days, yeah. and he would be the first to say that being a head coach in Major League Soccer is night and day compared to being a head coach in the USL. But what Brian always brought was a mentality. James Riley loves to talk about the mentality of a defender, the mentality of Brian Schmetzer, um, but it is a mentality, a defensive-minded mentality of not conceding goals, which I think this group, and you said four or five guys, I'd actually argue and say it's six, seven, or eight. When you factor in Ramon, you factor in Brad Smith's arrival and Nuhu, um, there's been... uh, it's better to have consistency, but you also need to be able to plug in place. Yeah. And so that group of seven, as they get more and more comfortable together, as they get more and more confidence, it's, it's a group that, what, have they, they've conceded six goals in 11 matches. Yeah. So in, the, in, this, in this 11-game run, we're scoring two goals a game and we're giving up half of a goal a game. That's a pretty successful, from an analytical perspective, that is a way that you're going to continue to progress um, and to, to get points. Yeah. A couple of years ago, the team was struggling Nico Ladero arrives, becomes the savior of the team does well. Um, Kelvin Leardam done that when he came also, gave stability. This year, it's been in some ways Brad Smith. What have you liked about what he's done? I got to see him live for the first time in the last game. And yeah, he, for me, I didn't know he was that fast, electric. But just what do you think he's added to this team that maybe he was missing? Well, he's a, he's a left back. Uh, and you look at defenders, you, you judge a defender first and foremost on their ability to defend. Yeah. Uh, but in the last three points we picked up against Kansas City, he drew a penalty and he had a fantastic assist. So he is contributing on both sides of the ball. Yeah. Um, I think that uh, the way the Sounders play with uh, center backs stretching wide and having defensive midfielders who can sit and occupy spaces and clog holes, it puts more emphasis on the Kelvins and the Brad Smiths and the knew who's in the Waylands and the Jordan McCarris to be able to get forward and to contribute in meaningful ways in the attack. And so uh, what I like about Brad is, one, um, he, he's hungry. He's hungry to play and get minutes. Yeah. Two, he is a very good defender first and foremost, but he is, his physical attributes are special and fun to watch. Yeah. Even just see him run for it in the attack is something he does it with a grace that not all defenders do. I certainly never <laughs> had any grace, and you can speak to that. Um, but I think what Brad brought and what Raul brought is competition. Mm. There is now competition at every single place in the park, you've got Ramon, who has been relegated to the bench and when asked to be called on, has stepped up. You've got, Bra- uh, you've got Will Bruin, who yeah. was the leading goal scorer for the team, and now he's fighting for minutes. And when he does, he continues to contribute. You've got Christian, who has been pushed wide when arguably he is more effective centrally, but he does it and he does it willingly. Uh, you think about this team when you have all the pieces in place and Victor, if Victor Rodriguez comes back, there's yeah. so much more competition. Yeah. Competition la- raises the level. It, ra- it raises your, your standard of training. Uh, it raises the, the necessity to perform on each ind- individual match. But sometimes you need new blood to be reminded that there is nothing given in your ability to play and to, to play for uh, a pref- professional club, a Sounders team, you do not earn the right. Yeah. That You must earn the right to play rather than being granted starts. Yeah. The last thing I want to ask you is this. 
a couple of years back, the Portland Timbers got hot at the right time, rolled that into a MLS Cup. Two years ago, it was the Sounders. You just got hot at the right time, rolled that into an MLS Cup. The Sounders are the hottest team in the league right now. Is there such a thing as peaking too soon? Is there such a thing as peaking too soon? Yes. Uh, are the, have the Sounders peaked too soon? No, I would say they haven't for a couple of reasons. One, uh, they're not in the playoffs, right? The, nothing is guaranteed. You yeah. can't peak until you actually have a place in the postseason and you have a pathway to be able to achieve your goals, which is winning MLS Cup. Sixth in the standings, fifth in points per game. Yeah. They're currently still trying to get into the playoffs, let alone host a playoff match. And being that three or four seed is completely different than being, uh, being having to go on the road for that knockout round. So, uh, has a team peaked too soon? No, because they still haven't gotten to where they want to go, which is in the postseason, and put uh, put together a uh, an opportunity um, to, to 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 go after the MLS Cup. You know, eighth place is only one win away. Um, I, I think the fact that the Sounders are in the position that they are, having broken an MLS record with eight consecutive games, is also a reflection of how far down they were in a hole in the beginning of the year. Yeah. When I think of teams that have peaked too soon. Um, I think of the Dallases the last couple of years that Good have point. consistently yeah. been in the one and the two seed. And then once August and September roll around, their form starts to drop. And when you get them in the postseason, they're not quite as formidable as they were in the beginning of the year. Um, RSL, RSL, yeah. when they won it in Seattle in 2009, that was a team that snuck into the playoffs yeah. and peaked at the right time. Yeah. If the Sounders continue to, if the Sounders drop points, um, then I would say we maybe have peaked too soon. But if you look at the next matches, uh, a very friendly schedule based on uh, if there is a p- expected points per game, you're looking at who we play as yeah. opposed to other teams. I would also argue that there is no such thing as a gimme game when people are, dry, are, are fighting for their, for their jobs. Yeah. Um, but if you look at the next, uh, the next couple months, uh, the Sounders are playing some teams that are essentially won't have as, t- as much to play for. Yeah. Um, what happens in that in the next six weeks will determine have the Sounders peak too early. But I'll tell you what: if you have competition, if you have a coach like Schmetz who has proven to be able to motivate players at the right time for the right at the at the, at the right moments like the postseason, there will be no complacency with this locker room. And if there is, now there's somebody who's going to take your job. Yeah, a derby game, Cascada game, always a big game. With the playoff implications, how big is the game this weekend? It's big. Uh, you know, from, from a, it's, it's probably bigger emotionally than it is mathematically. There's enough games for either team to right the ship if they, if they drop points. Emotionally, when, there is a, when there's a cup on the line and a rivalry cup and the Cascadia Cup, that takes on a whole other emotional uh, uh, proposition. Uh, Vancouver probably doesn't feel like they put their best foot forward here when they came here last month. That yeah. was right amidst the Alfonso Davies transfer yeah. to Bayern Munich, and he was not a part of that 18. They probably want a do-over when it comes yeah. to uh, uh, of what they did against Seattle. And so um, they want to break our streak. We want to keep the train rolling. And so this is a big emotional weekend. That's what rivalries are about. That's what Cascadia is about. Um, and that's why I'm so excited for Saturday at 7 p.m. There you have it. Saturday, 7 p.m. Seattle Sounders versus Vancouver Whitecaps. Massive game. Cascadia Cup on the line. That was Taylor Graham. I'm Steve Zakwani. We'll be back in just a little bit. It's now a lovely ball. Martins. Even chance. It's a goal on his full debut for the Austrian. Well, here goes Seattle. Valdez left it really well. Dempsey. Chance for Pineda, Gonzalo Pineda, yes! Yes!
yes, yes! Pineda with what could be the decisive goal. Here's Clint Dempsey, tight angle, still going. Dempsey, Martins, 3-0. Magic! The Cascadia Cup is coming back to Seattle. Seattle doing a number on their rivals. For the first time in four years, the Pacific Northwest silverware will be adorned in rave green. And we're back. Thanks again to Taylor Graham for joining me on the podcast. Always a pleasure to have one of my favorite people in the whole Sounders organization with us here on the podcast. And of course, he has an open invite. Also, one of my favorite former teammates that I had the privilege to play with when I was on the team playing. Questions. A lot of the questions were very similar this week. With no Sounders game, they seem to center more and more around national team issues. So those are also the things that were on my mind. So right away, let's get into it. Number one, number one, the big three things is the national team coaching search. The U.S. has had so many friendlies since we knew they would not be at the World Cup. So many friendlies. And looking now in hindsight, you know, they say hindsight is 2020. It does seem like it was a bit of a wasted opportunity because the difference between coaching a national team and a club team has always been the time you get to spend with your players. With the club team, the coach is with them every day, all the time, has a chance to correct mistakes from the past game right away. He's always in communication, always on the training pitch with the players. The national team, you come together for a camp a week, two weeks, if that, and then you go away for a few months and then come back again. And when you're not in cycle, it's even more infrequent. So a national team coach has a much harder time implementing his style and his ideas because he might tell you something and then not see you for two months. So the US, I think, looking back, probably would have done it differently. I understand that the candidates were hard to get because there's no World Cup carrot to dangle. That was tough with no World Cup. With that said, I still think you should have gone all out to get someone in on a permanent basis just because just because you'd have given them the time without pressure for trying to make the world cup trying to qualify for this or qualify for that time to really build the playing style very important because i think we're all crying out for a lot more creativity a lot more trying stuff a lot more just players who excite us get us out of our seat i think the u.s is past the boring predictable big we're big and physical football style that's fine for some nations i think the u.s does have now the desire from the fan base and the analysts and the pundits like me who think hey we've got players in the epl players in the bundesliga players who are doing really well with their club teams in mls we should be playing a much better brand of football and competing at a much higher level with some of the best teams in the world and bringing a manager in during this window would have given that coach that manager the time to build an identity into his team it's an opportunity missed for sure number two dual nationalities touchy subject for some for me very 
easy and straightforward. Um, two of my friends and colleagues, and you know, one's a former teammate, one's a guy I played against, a former opponent. Casey Keller and Hercules Gomez had very different takes on dual nationals. These are the players who have the opportunity to kind of pick which country they can play for, or if you look at it this way, um, there may be more than one or two or three sometimes countries who can claim their allegiance or who want to claim their allegiance. And with the States, it's usually a Mexican-American player, maybe a Canadian-American, and for a while, the German-American players. And Casey Keller and a few others as well are of the view that, you know, if the player doesn't just express such a strong desire to play for the United States, then that's pretty telling and that's your answer, that they don't want it bad enough or that their allegiance isn't all the way here. So you have your answer and you shouldn't pursue them. You have guys on the other side of the fence, like Hercules Gomez, who say, no, it's a tough decision. I feel 100% American, also 100% Mexican. I have heritage in both. And if you ask me, which one do I feel more of? On Monday, it might be this one. On Tuesday, it might be that one. It's tough to just say, I feel this and this alone. And due to that fact, if you put me on the spot, I may not be able to give you a clear, coherent answer. I land on the side of Hercules Gomez, and that is because of my experience. I was born in the Congo, I grew up in London, England, and I lived now over 10 years in the United States. I spent more time in the States and in England than I have in the Congo, but I still feel very, very Congolese, very African. The household I grew up in, the culture, the food, the language, the music was all African. Congolese but then I grew up in England in the British football system all my friends were British I went to school in England I was educated there I learned football there so I feel very British but then I've been in the States for um, 11 years now I went to university here for a couple of years I've been in Seattle for a long time I'm ingrained in the community so my citizenship can also be American if I ever decide to fill out the paperwork and get a passport but I qualify for it now. So if you ask me today if I miraculously made a miraculous comeback and was playing at Lionel Messi level and they were like, who are you going to play for? Are you English, American or Congolese? I would have to think about it. It's a tough decision. If I hesitated and that made any of those nations write me off, I don't think that's the right approach. So these kids should be given the time to decide. Of course, there's a timeline on it, but it's not an easy choice because you can feel two or three of one thing just as much as the other and I feel that this is to say if you don't just show the strong desire right away to say I'm an American I'm gonna play for America or I'm English I'm gonna play for England then you're not showing that you want it bad enough I think you can miss out on a lot of very good players number three um, we have to talk about it because there was a coaching change very late in the season very unusual um, and that's Ziggy Schmidt who is out at LA they say he resigned um, these stories always who you believe, who you don't believe. I've not yet talked to Ziggy. Um, I do have uh, still a strong-ish relationship with Ziggy. Um, we're in contact and communication. Um, but I've not talked to him on this issue. You know, I'm just surprised by the timing because the season's almost over. You're not going to bring in anyone now to give him a reckless playoff push. I think you have like six or seven games left. There are about three points outside the playoffs. So the timing's weird, which can only make me say it had to have been a mutual decision at some level where they just agreed we cannot work together. I've got to go my separate ways. But the thing I want to focus on is, you know, someone like Ziggy at this point, what's next? It's like when Arsene Wenger left Arsenal, 
you think you've been in the game for so long, you've given so much, should this person keep coaching? And Ziggy and Arsene actually remind me of each other because they always both talk about they still want to coach. The rest of us on the outside are like, you've done everything. You're the king, you've got the most wins, you've won this trophy, that trophy, you had a 20 plus year career, you're successful, go off into the sunset, write a book on your stories, maybe do some TV appearances here. At the very most, move upstairs in a GM role or a technical director role, that's what we think. But I think both of those two gentlemen will still say, no, I want to coach, I've got the fire, I've got the desire to coach. So with that said, I'm not sure what Ziggy does, personally if my advice was ever sought i'd ask him to move into an upstairs role but i don't know if that's what he would want to do just from what i know of him so we'll see what happens there but very interesting timing for the la galaxy as a sounders fan of course you hope that it destabilizes them and that they end up not catching seattle or any of the other teams to make the playoffs which makes it easier for the sounders to be in that's all we have time for as always thank you for tuning in i'm steve zakwani this has been winging it with zakwani this saturday 7 p.m the sounders on the road in bc against vancouver whitecaps make sure you tune in if you're not there in person i will be on the tv doing my best to give analysis alongside keith koshigan casey keller and i believe mj my boy matt johnson will be on the radio call so tune into the radio if you want to hear it that way until next week, when we're back here celebrating the ninth win in a row, I'm Steve Zakwani. Thanks for listening.